Well, good morning, church family. It really is good to see you all today. I've been looking forward to preaching this message for quite some time because the subject of today's text, just two verses, but the subject of today's text is so incredibly important to the Christian faith. And, and not just to the Christian faith, it's, it's, it's important to me personally, and it's about the practice of authentic community by believers in Jesus. And before we delve into the, the passage, I want to define that term, authentic community. I, I want to define that so we can all be tracking together, and I'm going to do that while the kids, if they're doing that, will find these seven bingo pictures that are hidden in the slides. Um, let's look at the word community first, okay? Um, it's something we've discussed as recently as last Sunday, right? It's really, it's a mashup of two words. Are you familiar with that term, mashup? You know, where you squash like two songs together and stuff. Okay, so this is a mashup of the word commune and unity. Now, commune is a verb, okay? And it's been defined uh, as to be in a state of intimate, heightened sensitivity and receptivity. I like that. I know that's a, that's a mouthful, but think about like, uh, for me, it's maybe if I'm out on a kayak in a lake and then there's nobody else around. And I just, I feel like I'm communing with God and with the, my surroundings to some extent. Um, it, it's, it's this, I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. To be in a state of intimate, heightened sensitivity and receptivity. That's what we're supposed to have toward God when we take the Lord's Supper. It's part of the reason we call it communion. While unity means being, it's many being together in one accord. Okay, the mindset, not the Honda, just to clarify. Um, Sort of like an e pluribus unum type thing. Okay, out of many, one. So community is when a group is deeply connected to one another through uh, a commonality of direction, desire, and purpose. Okay? That's the noun. Now let's look at the adjective. Authentic. Okay, authentic is a really great word that, that gets thrown around a lot, but the basic definition of authentic is genuine. It's real, right? Our culture is not the best, though, at determining what is genuine or real, though. You know, way back in the 80s when I was a kid, the, the 1980s before you say anything, um, when I was in middle school, which we called junior high back then, um, we watched something called network television. Some of you may know what I'm talking about here. I remember this one commercial that was on a whole lot back when I was in junior high. There's this backdrop, and you can tell it was a backdrop, even though, I mean, there's people walking and stuff. A backdrop of downtown Paris with people going to and fro in front of the camera. And then there's this lady in the foreground that's walking by. Some of y'all are going to remember this. And some guy thrusts a microphone at her and then asks her for her opinion on some jewelry. Now, the funny thing is, back then, the green screen wasn't a real prevalent technology. And so you can see, like, this, this staticky outline <laughs> Around the people, you can tell they're being superimposed on a film of downtown Paris. But anyway, the faceless voice behind the microphone shows the lady this jewelry, and she, she oohs and ahs over it, you know. And then the picture switches to the jewelry itself, and the voice says, it's something like, order today, and for 1990, receive these genuine faux pearl earrings and genuine faux diamond necklace. Do you remember this? Now, for those of you that don't know, faux is French for? Fake. Okay. So, and, and here's the thing, I'm fairly certain a lot of people didn't know that faux meant fake, 
because that commercial stayed on the air for over a year. I don't know how many dozens of times I saw this, okay? So that meant that there were plenty of suckers with credit cards who thought they were getting a, a great deal on some legit diamond and pearl jewelry. Genuine foe, <laughs> you know? Sure, so they were real fakes, right? I mean, come on. But if, I'll tell you what, if you, if you do this today, okay? If you, if you put this into your, into your search engine today, in quotes, genuine foe, you will find loads of pages of people selling authentically fake merchandise. I am not kidding. What a terrible and yet brilliant way to jip people out of their money, right? To call something genuine when it's totally not. It'd be funny if it weren't so sad. Unfortunately, we live in a society and in a culture when professing Christians, many professing Christians, practice genuine faux Christianity. Because sometimes they, unfortunately, attend churches that teach and preach it. But these churches don't put a warning on their website. It doesn't say, come worship with us and we'll share the genuine faux gospel with you so you can pat yourself on the back for being a good person. They don't put that in the ad, do they? That's not on the web page. There is only one gospel that saves. And it is not the prosperity gospel. It is not the social gospel. But it is the biblical gospel. The good news of God is revealed through the life and death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the authentic gospel upon which authentic community is built. And friends, listen to me. This is important. People who receive this gospel experience life changes that are going to be powerful, that are going to be undeniable, and they, they tend to manifest in certain ways. And that's where we kind of get back to Acts. Because the, the last six verses of Acts chapter 2 reveal what that manifestation looks like. Because it shows us the early church and what they did. And that's why these last three messages were titled The True Marks of Faith. Because some of the most obvious external signs of a person being made alive in the Spirit are in these passages. Now, before we go any deeper, okay, in, into the, I want to say a couple of things. First, some people take longer to outwardly show the inward change that faith in Jesus brings. So please don't assume that you or someone else isn't a Christian simply because some of these marks of faith aren't fully evident yet, Okay? Likewise, a person who is loving and generous and kind doesn't necessarily have the inward change that comes with faith. Although, if they profess faith, it's a pretty good indicator. Okay? But I, I think it's important for us to realize that, in general at least, a regenerate Christian, meaning someone that's born again by grace through faith, they are going to be growing in these areas, in these marks of faith. And I think it's important for us to understand this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I know many of us have had spiritually devastating experiences with people who claim to be Christians. Now, some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Some of those people probably were Christians because we all struggle with sin. We're, we're all growing. But that does not excuse unchristlike behavior. And so I want to say this. I'm sorry for if I've ever hurt any of you or any of you are watching online or listening to the podcast. If I've ever hurt any of you by being ungodly. And I hope that other Christians will do the same. And I hope that you will forgive them. Please forgive whoever has hurt you. Okay? 
Please do that. But sadly, it's also true, some of them were probably uh, putting on a false veneer of religion uh, because they use it as a weapon. They use it to manipulate or they use it to cover up. And please, friends, I want you to recognize that many of those who claim to be Christians are not. And because of this, they do not resemble Christ. They do not resemble the teaching of Scripture. God will sort out who those people are. The good fish and the bad fish, the wheat and the tares grow together. God is the one who knows. But you need to understand that we also must forgive those people that have hurt us. Even if they're not true Christians. We must forgive them too and pray that God will get a hold of their hearts before it's too late. Now to sum up this point, okay, please don't judge the truth of Christ or the truth of the message of the gospel by the failures of Christians and don't judge it by the hypocrisy of fakes. Okay? There are such things as real diamonds. There are such things as real pearls. So just because genuine foe exists, don't lose sight of that, okay? Now let's get back to our text. Two weeks ago, Acts 2 showed us that a true mark of faith is devotion to worship. And then last week we saw that another of the, the true marks of faith is extravagant generosity. Now today we're going to recognize another, and that is authentic community. Would you stand with me? And we'll, we'll read this text together. It's just this one paragraph. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we ask that each person here is open and receptive to your word. We pray that you will make us good soil and that it will uh, sink into us, take root and bear fruit. And Father, I pray that, that we recognize the vast importance, the vast importance of community and of being authentically real with one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. I know that was a long intro. Um, but it's, it's good to get you on your feet then and get that circulation moving. We're going to take this a chunk at a time as we unpack it, okay? And day by day, Luke writes, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. First, friends, before we go anymore, I, I, I just want to say the very first phrase here is loaded, okay? And day by day is a Greek word or phrase that means daily. Daily. Okay, so right off the bat, we see that the early church was practicing daily fellowship with one another, not just Sunday. Okay, daily. Now, that's a trip for 21st century Christians, right? At least Americans. You know, we're on the, we're especially right now, because we're on the tail end of this pandemic that, that's caused practically worldwide lockdowns, you know. Daily, you know, like what do these folks have to do back then? Like nothing? Were they, you know, I mean, you have to, but, but just think about this. Back then, if you wanted bread, you didn't go to Kroger's, right? You got out your mortar and pestle <laughs> and your grain, and you sat there and you, you smushed it. You know, this grain that you either bought or you grew or you traded for or you gleaned. You crushed it as fine a flour as you can. You mixed it with some olive oil, and you baked it right then over a fire that you probably kindled several days ago because you've been adding 
wood to it every few hours because guess what? They didn't have matches, <laughs> right? So they had plenty to do back then. That's my point. You know, they weren't just sitting around going, gee, I wish it was Netflix would be invented so we could watch something. They weren't doing that. These are very, very busy people, okay? You also, by the way, you had to eat that bread in the next few days or else it went bad. I don't know if you guys realize that. There's so much missing from our bread, but that's a whole nother. My point is, living in general, living was work, okay? It was work to live, let alone all the other stuff that they had to do. Because these, these new Christians were prioritizing spending time in fellowship with other believers. You know, Dave preached for me a few weeks back. And, uh, and he made the point that people are going to do what's most important to them. Which is why, you know, this is what prioritization is. Is determining what our priorities are so that we spend our time, our energy, our money, our focus on those things. So it's obvious, to me at least, that the, the early Christians prioritized being together. And that's interesting. I mean, well, again, to me, it's interesting that the ESV says attending the temple together, because the way they phrase that, they're kind of glossing over the importance of the word that's translated together. Because in Greek, it comes before we're told what they're doing, and it means in one mind. Okay, in other words, they were, they were unified in thought and purpose. A group of people unified in thought and purpose. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe community? Right? So, it, it, this is what the word means, but they weren't just together. That, that's why I kind of struggle with the way that they just translate it as together. Because, I mean, we've all experienced being together, but not really together, right? I mean, how many of you have ever had a first grader that's like, I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend? And you're like, Really, do you? <laughs> you know? And they mean it's somebody that they like in their class. And they said, will you go out with me? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then they only see each other in class. And they're, they're not exactly together. You know what I mean? Or like when you're going on a long trip and, uh, and you're with somebody um, that you don't like, like your siblings, and <laughs> you're being told to behave in the back seat. And uh, I won't share my stories with me and my sister going on vacation, but... Um, pr- probably, probably a, a great example of, of not being together is when you have a holiday gathering and your family comes in and you're all sitting in the living room and there's four people having a conversation, but there's 14 people in there and 10 of them are on their phones. You know what I'm talking about, right? We had to institute a put your cell phone away uh, rule at our last Thanksgiving with my family. Um, anyway, they were together, though. These people were actually Together, They were unified in thought and purpose, not just logistically speaking. They're in the same geographic location. They were connected to each other. And one of the ways um, that they were engaging in fellowship, because they're, they're engaging in a couple different kinds of fellowship that are very important. They were attending the temple in one mind, literally day by day. Now, this is their, their formal time of fellowship because they would worship to, together. They would worship the Lord together according to their prescribed manner. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, the, the devotion to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of the bread, the prayers, the fellowship. And so this was their time of corporately, that means all together, corporately loving God. Now listen, just for clarity's sake, okay? If you think that loving God 
means just having warm, fuzzy feelings about God, then please allow me to disabuse you of that notion, okay? That is not all that that is, right? Love is a verb. And in fact, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So loving God means being obedient to Christ. And part of obedience to Jesus is worshiping him, which is why it's so important that we come together to worship on Sundays. That's, then, that's as you guys here are here for that purpose. We're worshiping God together. But again, they were meeting in what, what would have been church to them, right? Because that's the, the temple was where they gathered to worship God. So this would have been their church day by day. Meaning that every day there are groups of believers going to the temple together to worship God. But they were also, this is so cool to me, they were also breaking bread in their homes. And this is a really cool thing to think about because this is day by day that this was happening. Day by day. This is a type of, of informal fellowship that is simply a gathering of like-minded believers and they're blessing one another with the ministry of presence in their homes. Spending time together. Now this description of breaking bread, most, most likely, I can't prove this, but I'm relatively sure it's not talking about communion. It's not referring to the Lord's Supper. It doesn't have that article in the Greek before the word bread. So most likely, uh, it's, it's referring to um, being together and sharing what they called love feasts. Isn't that a cool title? Love feast. Sounds kind of hippy-dippy in a good sort of way. You know? I mean, that, that's what they used to do. They used to do. So, breaking bread pretty much means fellowship over a meal in each other's homes. And we're talking, see, first we're talking about loving God. Now we're talking about loving one another. Now, I know that says loving others, but that's just because I ran out of room on that line. <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can write loving one another if you want to in your, in your bulletin insert. Um, but, but simply put... These folks were loving each other by spending time together and being hospitable towards one another, which is awesome. It's powerful. It, it's a great way to build relationships, a great way to be discipled, for sure. But, but there's, there's also this, okay? And this is where a lot of us really struggle. If you open up your home to someone else, you're letting them into your life. You realize that? You're letting them in. And that's something that I really hope that we can all experience as part of this body. Church, having authentic community means doing life together, okay? Now listen, just really quickly, I want to share some of my experience from last week, okay? Sunday, nearly every home in the church got a brief visit from the elders, and some of us were able to come in and share some fellowship. Monday, I was blessed to spend some time with Brent in the morning, and, uh, and then in the evening, a uh, past visitor and I brought a bunch of kids up here and we played grog. Some of you youth people know what that is. Um, and then Tuesday, Dave came over to my house for breakfast and, and we had some good fellowship. Wednesday, a group of us were here fellowshipping, dis discussing scripture. And uh, Thursday, Matt's not here this morning. He's in Sulphur Springs at a birthday. But, but Matt uh, and I went out for breakfast and we had a great time fellowshipping and discussing scripture together too. And and, and uh, Thursday night, the kids and I dropped off some cookies over at uh, the Henry's house. Some of y'all know them. 
and we had wonderful fellowship in their kitchen while my kids wrecked their house. I mean, not really, but it sounded like it. And they're like, oh, it's okay. You know, we're used to having kids. And, I'm, and I was like, well, all right. Uh, by the way, uh, Daryl and Laura told me to say hi to the church family. So hi from the Henrys. One, two, three. Hi. Okay, there you go. <laughs> then, uh, well, I just missed my place. I'm sorry. Um, then Friday, the Carrions came over and they blessed us with uh, their fellowship and we got to hang out with them and, and have cookies and fajitas. And, and listen, none of this was happening because I knew I was going to preach on it. This is just how it is. We were made to be together, church family. In the words of Jerry Maguire, <laughs> you complete me. No, but seriously, you complete me. I complete you. We complete one another. That's how God intended it. He did not intend for believers to live in isolation. Christians were made to do life together. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly share three reasons I think doing life together is important and, and why. We're going to call them the three E's, okay? The first is encourage Encourage, which is what we do by loving one another so that each person is aware of their intrinsic value in the eyes of God. So it's loving one another and also inspiring one another to be faithful in doing what is right. To encourage literally means to give courage. And through love and inspiration, we quite literally give each other courage to walk in faith. You know, someone once said, courage is contagious. And I think they're right. I think it is. But so is fear, as the last year has shown us. Be courageous and encourage one another in the faith. The second reason we need to do life together is for the purpose of edifying one another. This word literally means to build up. And I, I like to think that accountability is a huge part of that process. You know, if we, when we're correcting each other, if we're open to, in, to, to, to instruction, the Lord uses this to, to grow us up in that process that's called sanctification. You're familiar with that, right? Being made holy, being made Christ-like. And we don't build each other up so that we can all have ginormous egos, right? We build each other up so we can be more like Christ. And there's a powerful visual in Proverbs 27, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I think this is a brilliant truth. Because when, when iron is used to sharpen iron, what does it do? It, it's removing chips and rough edges. Right? It's making the tool more useful for its intended purpose. You ever tried to, to cut an apple or something using a dull knife? Dave? <laughs> Right? <laughs> it's more dangerous than a sharp knife. <laughs> anyway, it, 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 another thing about iron sharpening iron, I just want to point this out because I think we often forget this. Sometimes there will be sparks when iron sharpens iron. And that's okay. That's all right. That's part of the process. So be open to edification, both giving it and receiving it. Okay? And the third is exemplify. To set an example. You know, the night Jesus was arrested, he had this amazing conversation with his disciples that only shows up in John's gospel. And he, he makes the comment, by this, all people will, you know, will know that you are my disciples. He says what? 
if you, if you have love for one another. You know, by this, everyone will know. That's intense. Everyone will know if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, if we have love for one another. This is so important, and we miss it so often. Guys, when, when Christians show each other, and, and, and sometimes we even are able to show this outside of the church, but when we show each other the kind of selfless love that Jesus showed, it is an incredible witness to the world that he is the Lord. And in that respect, I guess you could argue maybe there's a fourth E, and that's evangelism. You know, sharing, sharing the good news of Christ, because people see the difference between how, how the world treats its own versus how Christians treat one another, or at least how we should. We've got some work to do, don't we? Yeah, I think we do. But that's, it's so important, and we, we can't effectively show the love of Christ to one another and by extension to the world unless we're together. Unless we're fellowshipping together and doing life together. So there's my case for that. Um, now, if you're freaking out because we've gone as long as we have and we're barely halfway through the, the bulletin insert, don't worry. The rest goes faster. But also, don't tune out because this is extremely important. Luke writes of the believers that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And I want us to pause there again because there's something really important about this chunk. Okay? And <clears throat> before we break it down, let's just look at one word that covers the Christian's attitude toward God, and that is gratitude. Yes, an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> I know it's kind of a, a, it kind of rolls off the tongue. It's one of those catchy phrases. But, but let's, let's look at what makes up a thankful mindset, okay? First, it talks about they were receiving their meal, okay, or their meat is how the Greek can be translated. I, I think it's probably fair to say that, that in context, they were grateful to be receiving God's blessings in the form of food or hospitality. But I think that their, their attitude of thankfulness was extended to other areas as well because of how they were receiving their meals. And I think we as Christians should strive to, to imitate their attitude of gratitude when it comes to how we receive God's blessings. You know, first, Luke says they received their food with glad and generous hearts, which is to say what their internal state was. Their, uh, th their emotional and spiritual perspective. The words translated glad and generous are interesting to me. I, I want to share just a little bit about them with you. Okay, Th the Greek word that's rendered glad is a really powerful word. And uh, it it's not just like, oh good, we have another bottle of ketchup in the pantry. Whew, I'm glad, right? It's not like that. It it's, it's more like, yes! Have you seen that, that, that gif? Is that how you say it, Judah? Jif, gif, gif, <laughs> gif is the peanut butter. Have you seen that gif that flies around the internet and it's got this baby and he's going yeah! like this and you just see the joy and the, the excitement on his face and it, it, that, that's what this glad really means. It means ex exaltation. It means joy. It, it sometimes even stands for a certain kind of welcome. Think, think of the videos that you've seen 
of soldiers coming back from war and how when they step off the plane, they get mobbed by their families. And there's tears and there's hugging and there's, there's kissing and, and loving. That, it's like that. Elation. It's how it's going to be when we get to heaven and we see those loved ones of ours. Glad. It's pure happiness. So I, I think glad's kind of a weak translation there, okay? And the word for generous is actually, it's only used once in the New Testament. And so we actually, we get the idea from classical Greek what it means. Get this. It literally means smooth, not stony. Smooth, not stony. It's referring to ground that was easy to plow because it wasn't full of rocks and stumps and all that, that junk that messes up your rows. So in other words, there was nothing to, to hinder or to encumber their hearts from being open, from being sincere. Let's talk about that for a minute, because this, this is a good question, I think, for self-evaluation. In your heart, are you joyful? Are you joyful? Is there something in your heart that's hindering you, preventing you from being vulnerable to others? From being open. Something that's encumbering you. Does pride keep you from confessing your sins and admitting your faults? Or worse, does it keep you focused on everyone else's sins and faults? You just got called out. (laughs) Self-delusion is like a boulder in the middle of a garden. It has to be removed before anything can be planted there. Okay? Are you intensely grateful for God's blessings in your life? I mean, take stock, friends. Count your blessings. We, We should receive God's blessings with glad and generous hearts. And if we do, then our response should be the same. This this internal state should spill over into an external expression of that joy and of that sincerity that's in our hearts. And how? Well, one way is by praising God, just like they did. Now listen, if you're a Christian, hopefully you know why. Right? Hopefully you know why you're a Christian. Hopefully you know what that means. You know what God did for you in sending Jesus Christ. You you know what Jesus did for you by dying on the cross to pay for your sins and by coming back to life, being raised to life in heaven so that one day we'll be able to do the same thing. Do you understand that you one day will be raised to eternal life with Christ if you are in Christ? If you really think about that, then the, the great generosity of God should lead us to express our attitude of gratitude toward him, right? Thankfulness doesn't stay on the inside. You know, usually, I'm going to say usually, gratitude for someone else's generosity manifests in us with our own gratitude of spirit, with our own generosity. And great joy doesn't hide, does it? Does it? Does great joy hide? Thank you. No, it doesn't. Glad and generous hearts share 
how they feel. And in the case of believers, God ought to be the recipient of that great joy and sincerity by, by praise and by sharing it with others, which is what last week's message focused on. So if you forgot it already, go back and listen again. So to put this together, okay, authentic community requires both our inner and our outer selves. It's not one or the other, folks. It's both. I mean, friends, if someone tells you that their faith is personal and private, that person is uninformed about what faith is. And they are uninformed about what it's supposed to look like. Because true faith in Jesus Christ is something that others ought to be able to see and hear and even touch. Which is experienced in and reinforced by authentic Christian community. You benefit from from seeing my faith as you and I do life alongside each other. And I benefit from your faith as I do life alongside of of you. And and as we let each other into our hearts and and into our homes, we're strengthened by this fellowship and, 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 and by being with one another. Guys, this isn't just hanging out. We need to understand this is not just hanging out together. Anybody can hang out, okay? It's loving and serving and challenging each other. It's praying with each other and for each other. I'll tell you, this is, makes me a little bit embarrassed as a pastor, but it's also so wonderful that uh, I think it was last week I, I noticed I went to visit some people and, and two or three different folks as I was leaving their house, I didn't think, hey, I should pray with them. And they're like, hey, wait, before you go, <laughs> let's pray. We would you know, take hands and pray together. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. That is an, an honor and a privilege to be able to pray with other believers. So loving, serving, challenging, praying for, sharing our love for the Lord with one another. That's what it is. But it has to, it has to be the real thing. You know, none of this genuine foe, Christianity. And none of this genuine foe, Christian community either. People, but listen, even little kids, people know what fake concern looks like, right? You ever had somebody say, hey, uh, uh, hi, how you doing? And you say, well, actually, and they're like, we're at, <laughs> we know what fake concern looks like. But both Christians and non-Christians recognize authentic community when they see it. Because loving your neighbor as yourself is hard to fake for long. And eventually the, the people will notice when you have genuine community. They'll notice when you do life together. You encourage and edify each other. And you wear your heart on your sleeve. And you put your skin in the game and all those other cliches. But they're the real deal. That's the truth. That's what you do as a Christian. Clearly, those outside the early church who were watching them noticed, because as Luke says, they were having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day. There's that phrase again. Those who were being saved. So so quickly to wrap it up, there, there are a couple of results that we should expect when we intentionally live in authentic community. Okay, the first is the personal fruit. Okay, both, both among us as believers and, and in those who interact with us. 
Okay, this phrase, it's interesting, the phrase having favor with the people, that can literally be translated holding grace. And they were holding grace with the people. And the people were holding grace with them. I don't know about you, I think that phrase, holding grace, resonates with my soul for some reason. You know, they, they, were, they were holding grace. It's a beautiful thing to have, to have in your hands. To share. To know that it's yours. To let others see it. Experience it. They were holding grace. Even though the people didn't believe what they believed, they, they didn't act toward them as the early church acted toward each other, but, but they saw... People on the outside saw that there was something unique and gracious about these followers of Jesus. And so I ask you, in all sincerity, okay, please don't answer out loud, okay? I just want you to think about this in your mind. What do people outside of the church think of today when someone says the word Christian? Is their first thought of an authentic community, of loving believers who do life together and bless others? Or is it politics? Or judgy, self-righteous people? Or, or squeaky clean isolationists that build a little religious bubble and try to keep everybody else out? You know, I, I, I can't say. I don't know for sure. But you know what? I sure want them to think about Christians as people who love Jesus and love other people. That is what we're called to do. That should be our identifying characteristics as Christians, that we love God and we love people. And then if someone doesn't like us, if the world hates us, then at least it'll be for the right reasons and not because we're being a jerk, right? Right? Okay. So, there should be some visible fruit in our person-to-person relationships. Uh, and those watching us, even if they hate what we stand for, people watching us ought to hold grace with us because they see that we are holding grace to all. And finally, there's that word you're waiting for. Authentic community should ideally result in spiritual fruit. I love the fact that Luke specifies that God added to their number daily, no less, And so we should expect to see God adding to our number as we walk faithfully as believers. I mean, imagine how amazing it would be to see the Lord growing the church today in the same way that he did back then. I mean, don't you want to see him do it? Don't you want to see God growing the church the way he did it? I do. Don't you want to see? Are y'all awake? Don't you want to see this? Well... Let's get busy. Let's do life together. Let's have authentic Christian community. I will tell you that one of the blessings about being in a smaller church is that people know each other. And there is already a lot of that doing life together. But there can be more. There's always room for more. There's always room for more uh, involvement. There's always room for more witnessing for showing people, letting them into your circle, letting them see the love that you have for your church family. 
I just, I, I want to see God do this, and I, I believe, I believe he can, but he typically doesn't work in a vacuum, right? This, this early church behaving the way they did, that, that was a powerful manifestation of his work, his spirit, working in his people. And it led so many people on the outside to be drawn in. And, and I've seen God at work in this congregation, you know, even in this pandemic. Uh, but we need to become more visible, more bold, more, more committed to living in authentic community as Christ followers. And here's the thing. It, it, it's not going to happen by watching online. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to say that. Authentic community will not happen by watching online. A person watching online, you could be saved by hearing the gospel. You can be discipled through the reading of the word. But you can't experience Christian community without fellowship, without interaction. You just can't. So again, I want to encourage everyone who is watching from home. I know it's convenient, uh, but it's not the ideal that we've been called to. I want to challenge anyone, anyone who's, who's grown comfortable with being on the outside to ask the Lord whether he is leading you to reinvest your physical presence in this church community. And I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit here. I'm just presenting an observation. Authentic community requires a shared experience of the faith journey. We've got to be in it together. Now, I'm just going to say this while Danny comes up here to, uh, to lead us in the song. Um, I Surrender Again is the one we've got. I think you're ready for that. Um, God may be speaking to you in, in a way that you weren't expecting this morning. I hope he is, in fact. And I hope someone is feeling led by the Holy Spirit to, to commit their life to Jesus Christ by confessing him as Lord and Savior. And by being buried and raised up in a new life through immersion in the water. And if that's something that you've already submitted to, then I hope that he is leading you to recommit to him. And not just to him, but to his body, the church. He's always calling us, uh, I love how C.S. Lewis wrote it, further up and further in. He's always calling us to be drawn even closer. Authentic community, church, is a, is a blessing and it's an adventure. And I'm encouraging each of you to truly engage with this body of believers. We want to honor God by embracing the image of Christ for his glory. And we want to do that by loving God, loving others, by serving the least, by reaching the lost. That's what he's called us to do. Amen?